This is the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast. Come get your hands dirty while we learn the nitty-gritty of leading others the way Jesus did. This is Discipleship Dissected on Coach and Joe. Welcome to Coach and Joe. My name is Chad Norris. This is a podcast designed for leaders. I love the new setup here. I've got uh, headphones on. It sounds a lot more clear. I've had a lot of fun guests over the last couple of three years, but today's one of the all-time greats. Mm. A beautiful woman hmm. on a podcast with a beautiful man. My bride, I keep forgetting, is it 22 or 23 years? I can't remember. Right, it's 23 years. 23 years, uh, this woman said yes to me, best decision of her life. Uh, many people have asked over the years, Wendy, how did you get so lucky? And sometimes God just blesses a wife with. <laughs> I couldn't keep going. I'm starting just, to... It just comes out of nowhere. Actually, it's the opposite. It's like, hey, how'd you get her? Well, favor of God, brother. You ought to try it. Wendy Norris, uh, wife of Chad, mother of three kids. Can't remember their names, but they're good people. We have a little dog named Preacher. Mm. We're normal people. We're really passionate about, I guess, a couple of things. Uh, we're pretty laid back. Love to hang out with family, friends. And we really like to help people walk in friendship with God. It's not something that... I do because I'm a pastor. It's just what we love to do is we've always just really loved to help people walk in friendship with God. Yeah, it's true. You know, he's reminding me of right now. I haven't thought about this person forever. Remember Valerie? I do remember Valerie. My intern yeah. when I was at Church of Brook Hills. Sure. That mm-hmm. would have been 20. 22 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, we basically brought Valerie into our home. She became family with us and we discipled her. We didn't even know what we were doing. I was going to say, we did. we were discipling before we knew that's what we were doing. Give me your... Your working definition, if someone says, what is discipleship to you, Wendy? What What is it? Yeah, I guess a working definition for me is um, I'm following Jesus and someone's following me, trusting. Trusting in what I'm, um, and where I'm going with God enough to keep following. Um, you know, my... my role as someone who is being discipled is to not walk blindly. I think that's some of the the myth about um, about being discipled is that somehow you do it blindly. You're ultimately following Jesus. And as the person in front of you is following Jesus, then there's trust that's established that you can keep following in their footsteps as they follow Jesus. So ultimately, discipleship is me following Jesus and trusting the people that he puts in front of me to follow behind. You know what I wish somebody would have told us 25 years ago? Hmm. That you don't just invite people into your brilliance, because everybody thinks you have to carry some form of brilliance to teach somebody something. You just invite them into your life. Mm -hmm. Broken places, smooth places, the places in process. And hey, how about this? Sometimes the, the places that you're really strong in. Yeah, absolutely. All the places. But all of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to disciple others but and specifically have people into their homes because they don't want they know who they are. They don't they don't want someone else to see the broken places. What is it about us that it seems I've been doing this for quite a while and been in ministry quite a while and you have too. It seems that we're afraid to let people in on our entire journey. We we want to we want to shine the places we're strong. Like for example, I know a lot of people are really strong in intellectual capital. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. They can teach great at a whiteboard, but mm-hmm. the closer you get to them, they have more insecurities than than they can articulate. Mm-hmm. We like to attract people to our strengths, 
and keep them away from our weaknesses. Why do we do it? Well, because we would rather mentor than disciple. Meaning? The difference between mentor and discipleship, in my humble opinion, the pure definition of mentor is an experienced and trusted advisor. And so there's a there's a cultural acceptance that when I mentor someone, I'm, I'm mentoring them in a specific area. You know, if someone does an internship with with a doctor, uh, it's because they want to be a doctor. They're doing a they're or they're uh, you know an engineer or an architect or whatever it is. That's not necessarily discipleship in the way that we're talking about. Certainly, they're being. Um, schooled and learned in that specific area, but I believe that's where mentorship uh, finds, its, finds its place. So a lot of Christians love to be mentors. Um, maybe they feel like they have a good marriage, so let me mentor you in my marriage. And but I, they're terrible at finances. And I'm not even saying, if that's all you do, it's not like it's an evil thing, but what I hear you going at here is discipleship is... Discipleship is comprehensive. It's it, it, it requires, as, a, as someone who is discipling someone else, it requires me to be vulnerable in the areas that I'm actually weak in. But that's part of the discipleship. Um, discipleship is, is someone learning how to be a whole person, how to give themselves away wholly and completely. Um, and that means the good parts and the unfortunate weak parts. I've had two men in my life that have had a tremendous impact on me. One is named Calvin Miller. Mm-hmm. He's a saint waiting on me in heaven. You guys can Google who that is. Prolific author. And he changed my life. I don't say that lightly. At Beeson Divinity School. And it wasn't because of his teaching in the classroom only. But we used to go to lunch a lot together. Mm-hmm. We were very close. And uh, Calvin let me in on his life and all of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, goodness gracious, this guy's a superstar. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he could have just mentored you in the way of writing. When right? did I, when did I have but he didn't. Five of his books, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, but he dis- published. But he but he stepped more into a discipleship role yeah. and allowed you into his life. And I could not believe back then. I didn't even know what the definition of vulnerability was. But I I, I just called it. Man, this guy's real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how real he was. Mm-hmm. He had a tremendous impact on my life. There's another man right now that uh, I'm not going to mention his name. If I did mention his name, most people would know his name. And most people uh, know that the gift he carries, but uh, in God's sovereignty, he's given me a relationship with this man that I, I know the his full story. And this man's very open with not just what he carries, but also his broken places. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm getting at today is this: if you if you're if you're let's just let's say you lead in the marketplace, mm-hmm. you lead whether it's in a church, ball club, marketplace, you got a couple options. You can mentor and lean into your strengths and never allow people into the crevices of your life. And I, I'm not even saying that's evil. Yeah, no. It, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing, sure. But I, what I'm getting at is the more full-rounded picture mm-hmm. of coaching Yes, is saying to Sam Norris, our 17-year-old, Ruthie, our 14-year-old, Jack, our 11-year-old, you already see the boat broken places anyway. Why don't we just go ahead and invite you into them instead of acting as though they're not there? Sure. You and me. Yeah, that's not real. That's certainly not vulnerable. We're married. Mm -hmm. We work together. We parent together. We've just made the decision during COVID. Life's too short to play games. Like, 
we've gotten really honest with each other. We've gotten really honest with God. Yeah. This Sunday we sat because our kids are out of town. Thank you, Father, and all your heavenly host. We sat <laughs> and talked for three hours, and we have not done that. I don't remember the last time we talked for three hours. Do you? Uninterrupted, unhindered, without I, somewhere else to go in three hours. Oh, my gosh. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was pretty raw. Mm-hmm. Um, how our feelings are, not really with each other. It's a God journey we're on right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. What is it? What mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking specifically for leaders. You see, I, I noticed that leaders struggle with this more than other people because leaders can hide behind a competency. God can give you a gift, but you, no one really know you. Why is it so difficult for people to invite others into the brokenness? Well, there's shame in their brokenness. There's a sense of guilt that comes with it because uh, in many ways we think, especially as leaders, I should be better than this. I should be smarter than this. I'm really competent in this area of my life to the point where I have people seeking me out for wisdom because of my trusted experience. And yet, I failed miserably in this area. And so, there's a the, the internal thoughts, I think, that sometimes motivate a leader is, so let me get that cleaned up, and then I'll have a story to tell. And then I can invite somebody into the place once it's cleaned up, and it looks pretty, and I've, and I've become experienced and trusted in that area of my life. Well, you did. You actually, when you were praying the other day, I noticed you made a comment to me. You said, we were praying together. Or, no, we were, you said, I used to keep these thoughts about the Father bottled up. Now I'm just going to go ahead and tell him mm-hmm. and invite him in because he knows anyway. Yeah, and I've always, I've always mentally known that God knows the depth of my heart. But um, in, the last, in the last year, I've, I've stepped into a real, real vulnerable place with God. And honestly, it wasn't because I chose to. It was because he invited me into that space. And so I have a I have a whole you know storyline behind that, but it was his invitation. Wendy, do you want real or do you want to keep going the way that you're going? And I knew when he said the way that you're going, you can continue to manage and control and compartmentalize, or do you want real? And with real, you you actually don't know what the outcome is, but at least you'll know it's real. And uh, that has been almost a year long new territory with him. I have no intentions on leaving that territory. It's not a season. Uh, I think at first I may have even said, you know, season of real, but really what I was trying to say is like a new new territory of real, a new space of real. And so I have no intentions on going back, but what it causes me to do is inside of a present moment, instead of me thinking through things and then presenting my thoughts to God after I've thought through them. I just present them in their rawness, um, in their realness. And I, I do know that that actually blesses the Lord more when I come to Him in a, with my whole self, my real self. What if that's really all He's looking for? Yeah, and honestly, that that actually, I think the lie is that that, that makes you untrustworthy. It, it makes you ill-experienced. And the truth is, is that it makes you a trustworthy leader. For someone else, you know, the original question was about discipleship. And so I'd like to think that I'm a trusted person to follow. I never want someone to blindly follow me. That means that they're putting their hope and their trust in me and they're doing it void of God. That's not discipleship at all. (laughs) Um, I want them to have their eyes completely fixed on Jesus. Um, 
and trusting the person that's in front of them, if that's me, that I have followed God and not only profitable places in the world standards, but in the places that I should have lacked contentment, but I found it. That's real experience with God, and that's real trustworthy. Richard Rohr says that threes on Enneagram struggle with vulnerability. You're a three on the Enneagram, yet this year I've seen you choose vulnerability constantly. Let's, let's talk. I want to hear from you towards the person that says they just they know they need to step into vulnerability. They don't know how to. I've talked to a couple of other threes in the past year, and uh, one of them is a good friend of mine, John Longshore. He's told his story, mm-hmm. and he told his story Sunday morning or a couple Sunday mornings ago to men's group here, and basically he didn't know what he he didn't know what he was feeling. He didn't. Yeah. So like a lot of times, people that aren't vulnerable, it's not because of some deep hidden scent they don't even know it's almost like if i can stay busy and keep my hands to something and keep Mm -hmm. to the plow i don't even have to worry about what's on the inside of me but then god will sideline you Mm -hmm. and say i want you to come face to face with Mm -hmm. what's in your own belly Mm -hmm. what's a give me one practical thing that someone who they're not against vulnerability they just don't know how they they don't remember i said it was the year of the three year of the three i gave that prophetic word a while back Mm mm-hmm as a three, you've gone from someone that struggles with vulnerability to, I mean, you're, it's pretty strong practice of yours. How do you do it? Well, you can't think yourself in vulner, into vulnerability. You actually have to feel your way into vulnerability, which is a real, real unfortunate thing for people that are like me, uh, regardless of where they fall on an Enneagram or any kind of personality test. If you're someone who oftentimes says, you know, I really think blah, blah, blah. You know, I think, 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 think. And you're rarely someone who uses the word, I'm feeling. You know, that made me feel. Then our practice is more in in logic and rationale than it is in, in emotion. And that becomes a real unfortunate thing when we come to this juncture in wanting to be vulnerable because we actually have not practiced language that is vulnerable language. And so we're going, I don't even know how to do this. It's because we don't have emotional language to use. So this may sound absolutely ridiculous to the thinker out there. But there are there are words that are called feeling words. <laughs> and when these words are literally on a sheet of paper in front of me, which I have, uh, it actually begins to let my mind wrap around an emotion. So instead of it saying, that's just so frustrating. Okay, so actually really what I'm saying is I'm sad. I'm disappointed. I feel empty. I feel insecure. I feel really embarrassed. You know, the thinker uses other words because they're really just trying to move on. But vulnerability requires someone to sit inside emotions for just a little bit longer. <laughs> and to the thinker, it feels like a long time. And, uh, and I'm not trying to act like our feelers out there have it all under control because what they need to do is begin to use logic and rationale and not let their fe- feelings be their idols and their leaders, Okay. 
but we're talking about vulnerability right now. So for all my thinkers that are out there going, well, what about the what about the feelers? Yeah, we just handled that. We're not going to keep talking about the feelers. We're going to come back to to using real words. Um, you know, threes on the enneagram or or leaders in general, regardless of where they are on the on the enneagram. Leaders typically are trying to do the right thing. They want to do the right thing. And we have to, in this side, inside this conversation about vulnerability, redefine what the right thing is. The right thing is, is that I'm actually not isolating my feelings as if they don't exist. The right thing is to pull those in. And so practically, what does that look like for me? It looks like not saying the same words over and over and over again to describe how I feel, which might be I'm frustrated about this. I'm angry about this. This irritates me. But to use different words so that it taps into how I'm feeling. That takes a little bit longer, and I can't move things through faster as a result. A lot of charismatics think that you should just profess by faith where you should be, and the stuff you're talking right now is... Uh, it's just unbelief, and you're just tied into your flesh. I don't think so. I was in a counseling session yesterday with someone, and I said, the problem I see here and the challenge you have is you've actually never lamented. I said, there's, yes. an, there's an entire book in the Bible, Wendy, um, called Lamentations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, John Helms told me recently, is there like 45 Psalms-ish? I was going to say, you can't read Psalms without... He's lamenting? Large portions of it being... How some, how how the psalmist feels, how David feels, and he always ends in faith. Typically, he does. Always. But that's not the point. The yeah. point is, I'm saying choosing into vulnerability and what I've seen in your life. I mean, it's been said about you in the past. Kind of ha ha laugh laugh. Well, you know, Wendy doesn't feel. Mm, there's no human being there's in the world no. that doesn't feel. We're all feelers, and we're all we're all actually, <laughs> we're all feelers. We're all feelers. It's just over time, some of us have learned to lean into them, and some of us have learned to step away from them. Uh, but we all feel. We're discipling someone right now. You birthed her mm-hmm. in the past year. Ruthie, 14 mm-hmm. years old, has tapped into lamenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Well, not even just the sad feelings, but like the happy feelings, the exuberant feelings, the the like taking advantage of fun moments. There's a lot of leaders out there who who think that if they're having fun, then no then then no one else around them is is uh, thinking straight and thinking clearly. So I need to be the one to be rational and I'll let everybody else have fun, but I'm going to be the one who's thinking through what we need to be doing and how we need to be doing it. Because somebody needs to be leading this thing. <laughs> Remember that I had an altar call a couple months ago. I said some of you have cursed your feelings. Yeah, yeah. Why is it? Maybe we can connect with God is what, what we're getting at here. Well, he's a feeler. Yes, he is. He's he not, he's feels not, deeply. He's not just an engineer. He's an no, artist. Oh, he feels deeply. Yeah, he wept. Yes. I tell you what, recently in the prayer chapel, I had a time where I was blessing Israel and praying over Israel, and I felt mm. the emotions of the Father on me. Mm. All right, well, let me do this. I, I want to close this podcast down basically saying here, here's what we're getting at here. As a leader... Successful leaders invite people into their journeys. Your journey is not just what you carry in competence. There's also broken pieces. And really good leadership with boundaries, by the way, is inviting people in to your brokenness, not just your competency. Mm-hmm. A lot of whiteboard generals are horrific mm. at discipling because people really don't. 
They don't care how much you're brilliant at. They want you to share your heart with them. And even in discipleship, I can have spiritual authority of someone I'm leading. I'm not just self-cutting and inviting someone into my brokenness as though I'm not carrying competency. I'm not saying that. He's reminding me now, Jesus asked Simon, James, and John to pray with him in the garden. I was thinking about that yesterday. That is very vulnerable. Yeah. And, and then he got upset. And then he got, I was going to, that's what, that's the part that I, that I, I felt the Lord on is that the sad, you? well, just that his, talk about sadness and disappointment. Um, you know, you know, I envision Jesus being so frustrated, but the root of his frustration is, gosh, We've we've done a lot together, guys. For three years, we've done a lot together. This is this is like the time I've needed you the most. I've given so much away to you. They feel asleep. I've, I've left. I've I've invited you into my life, into spaces. You've you've seen the you've seen amazing stuff. You've seen the stuff that has disappointed me with the world, but and and with the religious figures. But if there was anybody I I, I knew that would stand with me right now, that would sit up with me right now, and I even ask you to, and you just can't. You just you just won't, and instead of it just being mad, there's just a sadness and a disappointment and a reality that he truly is making this journey alone. And I just I think that's that's even before he's imprisoned, you know, and, and placed in that dungeon hole in Caiaphas's house. Like it's just a to think that he was making his way and he was beginning to realize the loneliness. And experience the loneliness makes me really, it makes me sad to feel like that that's where he was at that place. You're my favorite guest on the show. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> no, you are. I love it when you're on here. I bless you leaders and those that are being groomed in to be a leader. Invite people into all of you, not mm-hmm. just your competency. In the name of Jesus, be at peace. Thanks for joining us on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast. Don't miss the Coach and Joe talk show on YouTube and coachandjoe.com for epic merch, blogs, and ways to help keep us up and running. We'll see you next time on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast.